Bible Interact is a group of Bible scholars and biblical archaeologists who promote the Hebraic nature of Scripture and view the two Testaments as one unified message. They explain how they use a first-century approach to searching the Scriptures, and they share their methods and discoveries for discussion and dialogue. They invite your comments and participation on BibleInteract.tv, where you can also find more teachings, self-study quizzes, webinars, and interviews. Foundations in Torah and Bible Interact TV. Welcome to the series, The Fig Tree. We are on session number six, and you probably couldn't imagine that there could be that much information about the fig tree, but yet there is. We've been laying a lot of groundwork in this, and last time we introduced the whole concept of the kingship and how it's related to the fig tree itself, and I introduced King Jehoiachin, Jehoiachin is how uh, the English pronunciation who's often, he has several other names, Yekinyahu and also Yekonia. And he was the king of Judah and very short amount of time. He was only a, the king of Judah for three months and ten days, but yet God described him as doing evil in the eyes of the Lord. And as I mentioned last time, it, it's hard to imagine how much evil he could have done in such a short amount of time. But ultimately, King Nebuchadnezzar came, marched on Jerusalem, laid siege to the city, and carried Jehoiachin off, and he was taken captive. And he took him to Babylon, along with his leaders and his, the craftsmen and artisans of the day, etc. So we're going to uh, build from his life, in his short time on the throne. There's an important verse here in Jeremiah 8.13 that kind of addresses this. It says, there are no figs on the fig tree, the leaf has withered, and what I have given them will pass from their possession. So he's dealing with the king and the kingdom, what will pass from their possession, from the children of Israel. And so God is basically threatening to uproot Judah, Yehuda, because the leaders have destroyed his vineyard, or destroyed the house of Israel, if you will, by not observing the words of the, co of the covenant, or the words of the Torah. But God does promise to bring them back to their land at some point. So this vision has been given to Jeremiah, Yermiahu, after Nebuchadnezzar carried Jehoiachin off into exile into Babylon. And we have here, uh, this, this vision includes uh, the, at the temple there were two baskets of figs. One basket of good figs and a basket of bad figs. So the good figs were like those that ripen first, and the bad figs were considered to be the inedible figs. Considered to be they're inedible because they are immature and they're green. In fact, uh, you find with bad figs, they never actually ripen and turn the dark or purple color. They just stay green. So let's talk for a moment about the good figs then. So at the time of the first fruits, and we've, we've talked about this before, they would put into baskets uh, various, the first fruits, and in, particularly, in particular uh, figs, they had set them up on their roofs around the country, and they would dry in the sun, and then the farmer would take them up to Jerusalem, and they would be set aside in a certain place in the temple to be uh, dedicated, if you will, to God as, and, and declared holy. And God was saying that I will regard the exiles, so those that were the artisans, the skilled workers, the carpenters, the locksmiths, etc., they were compared to the righteous. 
And they were seen as the good figs, the righteous, the tzaddikim, the ones who would obey the commandments of God. So the idea of the good figs in a basket they and being set aside and dedicated to the Lord were considered to, that fruit was considered to be those that were the righteous of Israel. Again, the artisan and the skilled workers and the, and the carpenters. Now, it's very interesting about this. Now, this comes from the bo- a book by Giza Vermes called Jesus the Jew. And what he says is that anciently they would identify these, the artisans, skilled workers, carpenters, locksmiths, etc., as being Torah teachers who silenced those who would argue with them because of their sheer brilliance. So if you look at a carpenter, harash, it's a Hebrew word for carpenter, it also means to silence. So the idea was that when these types spoke, everyone else closed their mouth. So Kind of, you can see how that could connect with a locksmith. So he further suggests that there's a possible link here between this idea of the uh, the brilliance of these Torah teachers, these skilled artisans, and the fact that Yeshua and his father were carpenters. That is, that maybe it, it is speaking of them being skilled in the Torah and not necessarily, you know, hammering nails. We don't really know for sure, but. This is something that was, uh, this is how they viewed these ancient skilled laborers as being great, uh, great Torah teachers. So the idea is that God will look after these, these righteous, when they're in exile, and he will bring them back to the land, and he will build them up while they're in exile, and he will later plant them in the land, and he will not pull them up. Now, we contrast the good figs with the bad figs. The bad figs are the ones that inedible, immature, green, they never ripen. And this is what God is saying about the king of Judah and his leaders, his minions, that they would become an object of scorn. They would be a disgrace. He also describes them as being repulsive. And that ultimately God would hand these leaders over to the kingdoms of this world and the kingdoms of this earth. And he describes in these passages, he describes them as a shame, a parable, a lesson, and a curse, which is rather interesting. And I think probably a parallel to what Yeshua is saying in the parable when he curses the fig tree in Mark chapter 11, but more on that later. Now, if we look in Jeremiah 24, 28, it says, is this man Koniyahu? Now, here we have actually another name for Yehoiachin, Konia, Yekenyahu, and now we have Koniyahu. So all these are the same guy. And it says, is this man Koniyahu a despised broken pot, an instrument nobody wants? Now, this is from the complete Jewish Bible. It says, count this man as childless. He is a lifetime failure. None of his offspring will succeed. None will sit on David's throne or rule again in Yehuda. And this is very, very important. He has been cut off here, and none of his offspring will ever rule on the throne. And yet, his offspring is the line of Judah. And that's where Yeshua ultimately is going to come from, the line of Judah. And the, the, the kings of Judah were the ones destined to be the leadership over the whole house of Israel. So we have a little bit of a problem here because this one's been cut off. But God said to David, I will establish one of your descendants to succeed you, and I will establish his throne forever. So how does that work? It's clear this one's been cut off. He's the official bloodline, if you will, for the uh, the house of Judah, 
and yet uh, he will be cut off. So now we can go into the, the New Testament and the Gospels and, and look at a few verses here. Matthew 1 gives us the genealogy of Yeshua through Joseph, Yosef, his father, who was the husband, of course, of Miriam. And if you go down into verse 11 of chapter 1, it says that Josiah was the father of Jehoiachin at the time of the exile of Babylon. So we've just discussed that. Verse 12, after the exile, Jehoiachin was the father of Shealtiel. Okay, and it goes on down from Shealtiel to Yosef, Joseph, the husband of Miriam. So this is the line of the kings by blood through David and Solomon. But it's pretty clear that Joseph's son could, by blood, could not sit on the throne because he's been, the throne line has been cut off through Jehoiachin. He was disqualified from being king, king. So this gives us one of the reasons, one of the main reasons, I would say, for the virgin birth. This is, uh, this is very significant. And so now we see that the seed itself is going to have to come directly from God and not from the physical line of the kings of Judah. So that the true heir, the king of Yehuda, the king over the kingdom, Yeshua, is going to have to come direct from the seed of God himself. And so no fruit or offspring were, would be born from this, quote, fig tree as seen as the leadership because the line has been cursed. And this is, has to do, again, with why Yeshua cursed the fig tree. He was sort of a, an illustrated sermon there, if you will. Now, if we go over, I, I would encourage you to read Mark 11, read Mark 21. We're not going to do it here, but this speaks of Yeshua's triumphal entry into Jerusalem right before Passover. And we see that Yeshua and his disciples, his Talmudim, are near two villages. And these two villages are very important in what we're talking about here in terms of the leadership. So the first village uh, that's mentioned here is Beit Page. You might recognize it as Bethphage, but it's really Beit Page, and it means house of unripe figs. Again, these are the green, immature figs, uh, not at all palatable. They are the bad figs. And really, in, in, in its root, means having lost power. So there's something being communicated about Beit Page, referring to those that are of the house of Judah in some way, but they're not walking according to, uh, they're not walking by the Spirit according to God's commandments. They are of the bad figs, King Jehoiachin. They're the rulers, the elders, the chief priests, and the leadership of Israel. And this town is outside of Jerusalem. It's a sabbatical distance limit, and it actually is the place where the Kohanim, the priests, lived. Those that took care of the top of the Mount of Olives lived here. So again, we are connecting to the leadership of, Jeh of Yehuda, but they're bad fruit. They do not produce new life. Now we contrast that with a town called, uh, we'll say Bethany, which can mean house of affliction, Beit Oni, certainly. Some scholars actually believe it should be Beit Te'ana, which means house of ripe figs. So Yeshua and his 12 Talmudim head to Beit Anya, or Beit Te'ana, which is pointing us to something about the house of Israel. And I think is kind of indicating those that have received Yeshua the Messiah are in the kingdom. Because what, ha what took place in Bethany before 
this in John chapter 12. This is where Yeshua was anointed by Miriam. You remember she anointed his feet with oil, really in, in preparation, in, in, in saying something about the resurrection. This is also the place that Lazarus was resurrected from the dead. And if you look closely in the passage, you'll, you'll see he was raised from the dead on the seventh day. Now, of course, he wasn't eternally raised from the dead. He, he did die again, but we have this picture of the resurrection on the seventh day. The picture of the fullness of the messianic kingdom related to the kings of Judah under Messiah and a resurrection being associated with that time. Now, Matthew eleven twelve says, The next day, as they came back from Beit Anya, or Beit Tehana, possibly, he felt hungry, that is Yeshua, spotting in the distance a fig tree in leaf. He went to see if he could find anything on it. When he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for it wasn't fig season. And he said to it, May no one ever eat fruit from you again. So think about that and King Yehoiachim. No one would ever eat fruit from his tree again, would they? Because his offspring had been cut off. And so the next day, what happens to the tree? It withers to the roots. So this fig tree has leaves, but no fruit. Now, what did we say about the leaves? That they, the leaves were where the milky latex sap was produced. The, the leaves represented the commandments of God. So that the leadership, if you will, of Israel at the time had the commandments, but they weren't producing any fruit. They weren't producing any new life. That is, the work of the Holy Spirit was not functioning in them. So they were leaders with no fruit. And their line was, as far in the sort of spiritual sense, was cut off from the kingship because they rejected the word of God and ultimately at that time they rejected the Messiah. Now certainly not all of the leaders of Israel did. We know about Nicodemus, but in general that's, uh, that was the condition of their heart. So God is basically saying the judgment, its tree cut down to its root, would be coming upon the leaders of Israel. They would be cursed, if you will, for the rejection of the word of God, and that is Yeshua the Messiah. And if they didn't repent and they didn't believe, they would be judged for eternity. So this is kind of the spirit, if you will, of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But we did mention that the fig tree had amazing regenerative powers, so that even if you cut that thing all the way down to the ground, new life would come forth from the roots, even when it appears that no life could come forth. And so out of the root of the tree will come restoration. Out of the root of the tree will come the messianic kingdom. Now it says, this is from the Talmud, the Babylonian Talmud, Eruvim 54a. It says, whenever you go to the fig tree, you are likely to find ripe fruit to eat. Whenever you go to the Torah, you will get nourishment for the spirit. Interesting. And I, I really do think the key in all this was that the, the spirit was not present in the lives of, they had the commandments, but they did not have the spirit in terms of walking in those commandments. So Yeshua certainly personified the Torah, personified the commandments. He was the living word who became flesh and walked among us. He walked according to the commandments of God. But the leaders, the chief priests, the shepherds, whatever, were not... Uh, they had rejected Messiah. They were receiving no nourishment, if you will, from the Spirit. And in that sense, as they drank the milk of the Torah, it was like death to them. Um, it was kind of like Sisera in the story of Deborah and Sisera. They acted as though they were parasites. The, like, remember I talked about the parasite fig wasp that would be killed by the milk, by the commandments. 
And so we want to kind of take off from this and look at what, what did the Holy Spirit mean in this context. So walking according to the commandments without the Spirit is just death. And so that's the picture of the, of the parasite fig wasp. You know, as soon as it hit the commandments, as soon as it, it touched the milk, the sticky sap, it died. So how do we have new life? How does new life come forward? And so this is the, the connection here to the life-giving spirit. And now we have to look at the true pollinator of the fig tree. So uh, we're going to get into a little bit of uh, discussion here now, kind of veering off, I suppose. But we need to talk about these elements of the tree itself. So... In, in looking at this, there was a pollinator. It was a female fig wasp. She was the pollinator of the fig tree. And I believe she's a picture, the female fig wasp, that is, of the Holy Spirit. Because that's what gives life to the tree and produces fruit. And in fact, there's a, a symbiotic relationship between the fig tree and the fi fig wasp. And it's kind of a unique relationship because the fig tree is this giant, monstrous tree that can grow for long periods of time. And the female fig wasp is, might be one of the smallest things you could... I mean, it's about the size of a mole on your body, a small mole. And yet, they have, there's this relationship between the two. Fig trees are totally dependent on the fig wasp for pollination. They're the sole pollinator of the tree. So fig wasps, the way they breed was inside the figs themselves, inside the fruit. And that's how they produced. And to me, it was kind of like the Holy Spirit being inside the Messiah and expressing that power outward with the Messianic kingdom. And it was the fact that the fig tree couldn't survive without the fig wasp and the fig wasp could not survive without the tree. In the same way, we see that relationship between Yeshua and the Holy Spirit. And really, looking at us, we cannot survive without the Spirit. And so... It is said that when there was a chemical signal that was released from the fig tree when it was receptive for pollination. So kind of how this worked, there was what we call a male um, capri fig. And it, it was a tree, the fig tree, but it had non-edible fruit on it. That was the male tree. So it produced the pollen. So the fig wasp would enter inside this fruit on the male capri fig. This is the non-edible fruit. And here, they would, the fig wasp would find the male flower part, and they, that's where she would lay her eggs. And the eggs would grow, and the larvae, and everything would develop, and they would develop into male and female fig wasps inside the fig fruit. Now, what the male fig wasp would do, he, he would dig out of the fig fruit, out of the wall, and then he would die in order to let the female fig wasp out. Isn't that an interesting picture? And the female fig wasp would then look for the female edible fig tree where the, tr the fruit on that tree was edible. And she would go into the fig, and there she would die from exhaustion and starvation. But she would deliver the pollen from the fruit of the male tree to the fruit of the female tree first before she died. And then... Uh, the fig would begin, ultimately begin to ripen and change color and produce that sweet smell. So the, this female fig wasp absolutely essential for this fruit ripening. So again, if we see the Holy Spirit as this female fig wasp and then kind of...
coming into the female fig tree where the edible fruit was, that was the true fruit. The true seed was inside that fruit. And then the fig tree, uh, it was said the fig tree would provide this female fig wasp with its only source of food and shelter. So I hope you can kind of see the relationship between the tree and the fig wasp. So that's kind of the relationship between the kings of Judah and manifested in Yeshua the Messiah and the Holy Spirit because it ultimately is the Holy Spirit that acts, if you will, as the pollinator and what produces and gives life. And so we can say that the Torah without the Spirit is just like dead works that don't produce fruit. And they, the, the commandments become burdensome and lifeless. And this is the kind of burden that the leadership of the leadership Yehuda at that time was putting on the people. And so it was a heavy burden and a heavy load. And uh, the father was not pleased, as you can see. So the spirit is really the key in all this in the same way that the female fig wasp was the key. So in a sense, in the messianic kingdom, everybody would sit under their vine and under their fig tree because of the resurrection of the Messiah, which ultimately gave the spirit to the people that were in the kingdom. And it speaks of restoration that has come to all of Israel. And uh, I hope you can see this wonderful picture then of the fig tree as a picture of the kings of Judah, that the fig tree represents the true leadership of Judah. And we contrast that with the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, which, which wasn't. And so to my mind, that, that tree and the fruit it produced would eventually be cut down so even looking at the root of the tree and speaking of the Torah and the word of God and, and how with the Messiah, that's how we have power to overcome and how the power of God is manifested in our life. So in a sense, in the way the female uh, fig wasp has to have a place in order to bring the pollen and produce new life, that's kind of uh, how we are. There needs to be a place where the Holy Spirit can function uh, inside us as well. And so uh, I think this is all a, a rather fascinating picture then of the kings of Judah and the king and how that how they functioned and how whether they were the good figs or the bad figs. And I like I said I mentioned about Giza Vermes and and his his uh, commentary about the carpenters and locksmiths and the idea of the good fig fruit. And uh, that's not something that's commonly understood. Of course, we always think of Yeshua as the carpenter, his father's a carpenter, but we don't think of them, we don't think of that term as kind of an idiom for how one studies and how one is able to unlock the Torah. And again, for those, uh, for those of us in, in the movement, the Hebrew Roots movement, the Messianic communities, it's, it's, the commandments are obviously essential. That is our, our contract and our covenant with our Father. But if there's no life in that, if the spirit, if there's no spirit functioning in that context, then it's just dead works. And we don't want to be someone uh, walking according to the, the commandments of God but not producing any life. We don't want uh, our life to be dead works. We don't want what we do to be a burden or we don't want to lay a burden on others and, and have our walk be lifeless. And this is what we see. Certainly 
I know that we have a tendency to lump all of the chief priests and the elders and the Pharisees together and say they were all bad and they were all um, not functioning and didn't believe in Yeshua. But but that's not the case. They weren't all of that persuasion. As I mentioned, we certainly have Nicodemus, who was one who recognized the rulership and kingship of Yeshua the Messiah. That's He understood that probably better than, than anybody. And uh, as a result of that, his, his life was transformed. But one wonders how much influence he had on the rest of the leadership. At that time in in Jerusalem, things were pretty corrupt. The priesthood was very corrupt. It, they had been a, the high priest himself had been appointed by the Romans and not according to the line of Aaron. So there was a lot of bribery, corruption, graft, etc., going on. And, but um, the, uh, Yeshua is still making the point that without the Spirit, uh, we don't have. We, there's no life in us. So that concludes our teaching here on the kings of Judah. We're going to pick it up next time and talk a little bit about some other aspects of the fig tree. Again, check out my website, Foundations in Torah, and also the Bible Interact TV website. And if you're interested in more materials, uh, you can go there and you can study with us. So we'll see you then. Shalom.